again, I just want to say thank you to all of the families who have given their loved ones for our freedom across all of our campuses. Uh, we appreciate you, and we love you, and we grieve with you. And, uh, and I just ask that we continue to uh, be thankful and grateful and, and lift into, into our prayers um, those that are, are actively and currently serving and their families as well. Uh, today we are finishing up, as Jarrell said, we're finishing up our series called I Can Relate. And in this series we've been talking about relationships, especially within the context of, of family. And we're talking about uh, marriage today, and, and, or parenting rather. And, and, and it really, parenting is one of the most difficult things there is to do, right? It, it really is. And I've blown it countless times. And, and I know if you're a parent that, that you, you lost track of your number a long time ago too. And I've shared this story before. Several years ago when we were in California, we, uh, we went on a, I was part of a student ministry team and every summer we would go on a staff retreat and it would just be us and our spouses and we would go to Palm Desert, Palm Springs, California. And it was really cheap to go in, in July because it was 118 degrees in the desert uh, at that time of year. And so basically all you could do was stand in the water and watch it evaporate. And we did that for three days. And, and then at night when it got really chilly and it cooled down to about 102, we would get out and go out for dinner together. And that's all we would do. The only rule was no kids. No kids were allowed to come with us. And every year, Ty would get incredibly frustrated that we were going to this pool. The thought of swimming in a pool for three days at this hotel, it was just like the best for him. And so we always had to tell him every summer, sorry, dude, you, you can't come. And when uh, we decided we were going to leave California, it was actually when we left California, we were just about to, uh, to come here. And, uh, and, and we said to Ty, we said, dude, we're, we're leaving. Let's do one last family thing together. What do you want to do? And uh, we said, do you want to go to Disney, which was just down the, the road from us? Or maybe we go a little south. We go down to, to San Diego. We go to SeaWorld or Legoland, or maybe even just a little bit more south, down to Tijuana. Very family friendly. And... Uh, <laughs> And so immediately, without hesitation, right, he immediately said, I want to go to that hotel and swim in the pool that I was never allowed to go to. And we we're like, wow, you're bitter. <laughs> this is awesome. And so we went and, and we hung out there for three days and, and in this saltwater pool, just relaxing, talking about life, talking about uh, dreaming about what God was going to do next as we moved to North Carolina and all those things. And it was the last day we had checked out of our hotel we were about an hour or so left in, in kind of the pool and we were going to drive back and we were in there, we're kind of floating on this raft and Laura looks over and she says, Ty, what's that up your nose? And Ty being four did what any four-year-old would do when his mom asked him that question and he went, snorted it up, nothing, right? It's gone, there's nothing on my nose, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Laura turns and she looks at me and she says, Donnie, he's got something up his nose, take a look and see what it is. No, right? Like, there's no way I'm not looking up. I'm not looking up his nose. I know it's up the nose of a four-year-old. I'm like, it's not like I'm gonna look up there and be like, wow, diamonds, right? Like who knew? Or the Sistine Chapel painted inside of it. I'm, like, I'm not looking up the nose of our four-year-old. And so I got, I got the look, um, but that's fine. I get the look regularly. So I'm kind of immune to it. And, and so uh, Laura, she, she kind of went a little medieval. Now she's a very sweet, sweet woman, but, but I, I don't have video evidence, but I'm pretty sure her head turned all the way around as she cupped her hand and put it under his nose and with a very compassionate but very forceful uh, tone said, blow, right? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, Laura, you can't do that. We're in a public pool. It's fine in like the shower or something, right? But I'm like, you can't. Moms are like pulling their kids like out of the water and stuff. Like it was, it was crazy. 
And so Ty, he, he, he blows it into his mom's nose as hard as he can, and, and this little black thing kind of comes out, but he only has four-year-old little small lungs, right? And so he doesn't have much oxygen, so he had, to, he had to breathe again quickly, and so he sucked it back up, and it did this dance for a while. And finally, with her mom-like vice grip fingers, she finally got a hold of this thing. And she began to pull, and his nostril began to stretch like it was giving birth, right? It was incredible. And she pulled this thing out, and she held it up like she had just won the Super Bowl, right? And moms everywhere around the pool are like, you go, girl, right? Like, nice job. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And, and so now I'm very excited to see what it was. It was up his nose. And so she pulls it back down, and we examine it, and we look at it. And up his nose, he had had a button, a button up his nose. And so Laura quickly does the math. Three and a half weeks he had had a button up his nose. She worked at a private school, and after school, it was California, they would have this after-school program while she still worked, and it would be outside. And with him being part Canadian, we had to smother him in sunscreen to make sure that he didn't fry. And so Laura would go out there, and three and a half weeks before she was out there, and a little boy, a friend of his, was saying, Tyler's got a button up his nose. And he was like, no, I don't, no, I don't. Yes, he did, right? He did for three and a half weeks. Parenting can be incredibly Incredibly difficult. When I think back over, uh, over my family growing up, right, we had, we had great times as a family. We went on vacations together and to baseball games. We used to, we used to watch WrestleMania together. It would come on on Fridays at 1130. Yeah, when Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were in it, when wrestling was real, right? And we would, we would watch it. It was fantastic. But we were a, a normal family, right, which means we also had, we had rough times. I, I vividly remember, I'm pretty sure it was the only time I made a mistake growing up, um, but my dad, my dad spanked, right? So I grew up in the area before like timeouts. There was no such thing as timeouts. It was dangerous when I grew up. And, uh, and, and actually there were timeouts. Timeout was this. It was after your daddy knocked you out, it was how long you were unconscious. That was your timeout, right? And, and so that's what I grew up in. I remember I had done something. I had upset my dad and, and he said, go get me something to spank you with. So I came back with a pillow. Three days later, right? I was just like, I'm just going to let him calm down a little bit. But maybe you've heard some things like this. These were things that my parents used to say all, to me, all, all the time to me. I am so sick and tired of fill in the blank. And I used to think, well, then stop yelling, right? I don't know why. I don't know why you're yelling at me. I used to get this one. Do you want a spanking? Uh, no. No. Answer's no. Pretty sure it's always going to be no. I'll get back to you if that ever changes. But let's just live with no to that question. And then one other one was, how many times do I need to tell you? Well, apparently at least one more, right? Because I haven't, I haven't got it yet. I remember the time I, my mom washed my mouth out with soap. I was outside and I was talking with my dad. She was inside and she thought she heard me say something and, and she came flying outside and grabbed me and I remember looking at my dad and, and, and just pleading for help and, and my dad said, I, I don't know, right? He was, he, was more, he was more scared of my mom than he was of me and so I got dragged inside and she washed my mouth out and I came out gagging and coughing out bubbles, right? Which was kind of cool. Uh, but and my mouth it tasted like an Irish spring, which is not as refreshing as it sounds. And, and I, remember, I remember looking at my dad and, and, and thinking like, where were you, right? Like why, why didn't you have my back on that? And I think family life often feels like that. It often feels like that where it's parents against the kids or it's kids against kids or it's kids placing parent against parent. And I don't think that's the way that the family is supposed to function. And so today we're gonna take a look at this last topic. We're gonna talk about parenting. But we're going to look at it from two perspectives, kind of like a coin, right, that has two sides to it. That's what we're going to take a look at because 
Because parenting, parenting is hard. And, and, and if you're there, I, I want to hear, don't check out, right? You may be sitting here and going, dude, I'm, I'm single and I have no plans on having kids for a long, long time. I, I get that. I get that. I know for some of us, just bringing up this, this topic too is, is difficult for many couples. Maybe, maybe your family, you're living a situation, your family is, there's been separation, there's been divorce, and, and you're kind of caught in between on holidays and those types of things. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it was the loss of a child. Maybe you have a child that's going in a direction that you know is not healthy, you know it's not good, they're making decisions that, that, that are, are hurting them and, and hurting others around them. Maybe you've been trying to start a family and you just haven't been able to. But don't check out, because there's another side to this whole thing of parenting. And, and so we're going to talk about parenting, but we're also going to talk about childing, which isn't a word, but it rhymes with parenting, right? We're, we're going to talk about that too, because here's the reality. Every single one of us sitting here is a child. Now, again, I know this brings up pain for many of us, because for some of us, we grew up in, with parents that were separated or parents that were divorced. For some of us, maybe you, you only had one parent. Some of us growing up, you wish you only had one parent because one of your parents wrestled with some kind of an addiction to alcohol or gambling or sex or something and it just, it just tore your family apart. For some of you, you were abused. Some were abandoned. This is just a tough topic. It really is. But the reality is that it impacts every one of us, every single person here because we are all children. Many of us parents all of us need each other, and all of us have a desire to be a part of a healthy family. Mike's been using in, in this series a lot of stats, and, and so I felt I should do my part, and so I did some research, and here's a couple stats that I came up with, or that I found, and, and the first was this is a, 100% of parents uh, say that parenting is really hard, right? And, and, and I, think, I think that's a, a legit, and I know there's probably some high school or maybe some college students out there that are rolling their eyes right now, but I found this stat for you, and it's this, 100% of children say it's really hard being a child. And so we, we have common ground in this discussion. See, parenting can be the, the greatest joy, but it can also be one of the most intimidating roles and responsibilities that we experience. After all, you're the biggest influence in your child's life. And so we want to partner with you. We want to help you help your kids to grow in their relationship with Jesus because we recognize that, that when you had kids, no one gave you an instruction manual. And so parents need help being parents and, and children need help being children and then eventually adults. And I think the best place to start is by looking at God's love letter for us, looking at the Bible and seeing what it has to say about how we relate with each other. And so if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's really in the Bible. That's a, that's a book in there. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens or you can download the app as well. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, let me just give you a little bit of context. In, it, uh, it follows Deuteronomy chapter 5. I, I went to school for that, and so, uh, um, but Deuteronomy chapter 5 is important because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses gives us the Ten Commandments, right? He did it in Exodus, but he gives them again in, in Deuteronomy 5. This is God's, like, top ten list, right? This is a, a big deal. Stuff like, hey, no other gods in your life, right? Don't worship anything else because there's nothing that compares to me, right? I, I'm matchless in anything. You're never going to find satisfaction in anything but me. And God said, hey, don't murder each other because that's, that's terrible. Right? And don't cheat on me and don't cheat on, on each other and don't steal from each other. And then in Deuteronomy 5.16, he said this, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor 
your mother and father. Honor your parents. It means that we need to obey our parents, that we need to do what it is that they say, that we follow their lead in our lives. And the results are very clear that you will live long and it will go well with you. But Moses isn't done there, right? He commands in in, in Deuteronomy 6, he gives us a, a couple of things as parents, maybe one of the greatest teachings on parenthood in the entire Bible. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now, the Israelites, right, they had been wandering in the desert for about 40 years. They're about to cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land, this place that God had set aside for them. And Moses is reminding them, and I think he's reminding us as well, that these these are God's commandments, Right? These are God's commandments for us to follow. The purpose for them is to teach us and, and it's to prepare us that we observe them in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. See, they were about to go into a new land. They were about to go on a new adventure to a place that they had never been before, a place where they might not feel like they really belong. There was going to be battles and fights and bloodshed and tears. Any parent Ever feel that way? Can I get a, I can relate to that, right? Because we feel that way. For most of us, you give birth and then they pack you up within a couple days and they send you home, no instruction manual, and now you're in a new land with with countless unknowns. And so God gives them, and and I believe he gives us, a plan for parenting. Verse 2 says this, So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Now let's unpack this a little bit, right? Who, who does this whole parenting thing impact? Why, why does it matter if we get this right? Well, what this passage teaches us is that it impacts you. But it doesn't just impact you. It also impacts your children. And not just your children, but your children's children. This is huge. Three generations are impacted by your job as a parent. There's no room for selfishness in this, right? The the stakes are are way too high. When you choose to engage in the child-making process, whatever your intent was in that moment, right, you have to be ready for how serious of a decision this is, that your family may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And then look at the results, that you may enjoy long life. Long life is nice, right? That's nice. Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's very dependent on the quality of that long life. But what God tells us is that you will enjoy your long life. I think we all want that. Verse 3. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. See, as we learn to fear the Lord and live according to his commands, not only will our lives will be changed, not only will we enjoy a long life, not only will it go well with you, but the, the generation, the next generation, and the generation after that, they will be different if we as parents learn and, and understand our responsibility to train our children, not to depend on us, not to depend on themselves, Not to depend on the culture around them, but to depend on the one who created everything. See, do you realize that as a parent, God has placed within you the power to change a generation and a generation to come? For many of us, though, we know that this this word family and, and, and our family experience, for some of us, it was so difficult. Divorce, separation, arguing, addictions, abandonment, 
abuse, whatever it was. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this today. This is so important. You can change the direction of your family. You can, and, and not for just yourself, but for your children and for your grandchildren as well. In Deuteronomy 6, what it does is it's actually going to give us two of the most important principles that we're going to find anywhere in Scripture that if we learn how to live out as parents, it will change the health and the dynamics of our families. If you don't get anything else, here's what I want you to understand today, that as a parent's priority is to model Jesus so that your kids learn to follow him. A parent's priority is to transfer a child's dependence from themselves to God. Because we know this to be true, right? When our kids are small, we make most of the choices for them. But as they grow older, we make less choices for them, and they begin to make choices of their own. And so all we can do is teach and model and point them to Jesus. And so how do we do that? Verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. See, these two verses, are, they're very important to a devout Jew. It's called the, the Shema. And what they would do is they would repeat these phrases three times a day, in the morning, at noon, and in the evening, because they wanted to keep in front of themselves. They always wanted to be reminded that it starts with loving God. See, the amount to which you love God, the amount to which you spend time with God, the amount to which you obey God, that you pray to God, that you trust God, that you follow God, that you spend time reading God's word, impacts you and your children and your grandchildren. Notice what it says. It says, love the Lord your God with, with what? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Not some, not most of, not a percentage of, but all. So I think if, if we're honest though, if I'm honest, I love God with a, a little bit of my heart. I love God with some of, of my heart. But I think one of the most dangerous things that we can do as parents is to expose our children to just a little bit of God. Let me explain to you why. How many of you have ever gotten an annual flu shot? Have you gotten one of those before? I did it once, um, and that was all. <laughs> and, uh, and because inevitably, right, the nurse at the doctor's office always ends up going to hope, and I don't want them to see how much of a pansy I am when it comes to, to getting shots. And so um, this always happens, and I, I try to be brave until, until she pulls out the needle, right? And then it, it turns into her saying something like, okay, try not to shake, and it turns into me saying something like, I was trying, right? And it's just not, it's just not happening. Now, if you've ever gotten a flu shot, what is it that they actually put into you? What is it that they give you in that flu shot? They give you a little bit of the flu, right? That's what they give you so that your body will hopefully develop some kind of, a, of immune system to that and you become immune to the whole thing. And I would argue that as parents, and, and, and to be honest, for most of us, un, unknowingly, when we give our children just a little bit of the things of God, we actually make them immune to God's goodness, to his glory, to his power, to his majesty. See, our, our kids end up finding themselves just knowing a little bit about God. But they don't know him personally. They don't know him intimately. They don't know him in a life-changing way. Scripture teaches us that we should love God with all of our heart. See, the problem is, the problem is, is that the culture and the world that we live in, right, it's so easy to be distracted from loving God with all of our heart. You know, as, as parents, as, as a dad, right, I, I, I want to provide for my family. And, and I think most of us, with, with very good intentions, we, we think that if we can give our kids more than we had growing up, 
that we're probably doing a good job as parents, right? And our kids will probably be happy. And so what we do is we pour ourselves into our careers. And we try to get more things for them. But, but the problem is, is that we're not giving our kids the thing that they really need. A deeper relationship with their, with their true father. So we want to provide. We want to provide them with the best opportunities. And so we get them in soccer and in ballet and in gymnastics. And next thing you know, our schedules are so full and, and so packed with activities that we realize that we need to have a nice car to transport them in because we want to make sure that they're safe, right? And that their little booties are taken care of and heated leather seats. And so we, we have to do that for them. And then when they turn 16, we need to make sure that they get a car of their own because it would be borderline child abuse for a 16 in our culture to not have a, a car of their own. Then we have to save up to make sure they get the greatest education possible. And before long, if we're not careful, we become child-centered parents instead of God-centered parents. And our lives revolve around our children instead of revolving around God. See, I regularly see people at our campuses that I haven't seen in a while. And most of that is just because my job now, I travel between all of the campuses on the weekends. And so I'm innocently asking people, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. And it's so funny because so often it turns into a confessional, right? Well, I, I haven't been here in a few weeks, Donnie. I, I, I'll, I'll own that, right? We're really, we're really busy right now. I'm coaching Little League and, and we've got our daughter in dance class and we're just going and going and going. And so, yeah, we haven't been to church in a few weeks. We're just too busy. And we know that we're supposed to. And I would say that most of us as, as a follower of Jesus, that we would even say that we want to love God with all of our heart. And yet sometimes we, we don't have time to worship him, right? We, we don't make the right things priorities in our lives. And parents, you need to understand this. Don't kid yourself. This sends a very significant message to your kids. How important is our involvement in church? Now, let me just say by involvement, I don't mean like, like come in late, right, and, and just spend a, an hour at church, leave during the last prayer so you can beat traffic out, Right? That, that's, that's not involvement. That's a, that's a spectator sport. When I say involvement, what I mean is that I'm, I'm all in, that I'm relying on God's grace, that I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus, and I want to use what it is that God has given me to help others, that I'm a contributing part to the family of God. How, is it, how important is it that your kids see you living that out? A few years ago, I, I saw an interesting study of kids who grow up and become active Christ followers as adults. And it said this, that if mom and dad both went to church, 72% of kids will follow Jesus as adults. They will be actively involved in their church. If only mom went to church, the percentage drops to 15%. If dad alone goes, it's back up to 55%. Dads, don't ever under, and underestimate the value of your role discipling and leading your children to Jesus. If neither mom or dad went, 6% of kids will grow up and follow Jesus and be actively involved in the church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. See, it's more than just words. It's actions as well. Do you love God with all of your heart or do you love God with just some of your heart? Because I would argue that, that our kids, they don't need just a little bit. They need to see us loving God with all of our hearts. What would happen if I were to walk into your home this week, unannounced, just kind of show up and just observe. What would, it, what would the way that you, you live your life, what would it show me about your commitment to God? The magazines that you read, the, the shows that you've watched recently, your browser history. What if I listened to the language that you use in your family? What if I looked at your finances? What if you did that to me? What if you were to walk into my house, into my family, and just observe and see 
How much of a priority would God be in my life and in your life? Not, not just what we say, not what we hope, not what we pretend in front of others, but, but, but in reality. And here's why I ask that. Because I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you with this. I'm not trying to get you to do some, some church checklist thing that will make you feel good about yourself or, or hope that God will, will like you more. What you need to know is that God already loves you with all of his heart. It's because your kids are watching and they're taking it all in. And so are your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends. You see, as, as parents, the best thing that we can do for our children is to love God with all of our hearts. Verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, the second thing that Moses teaches us here, and, and this is so important and so profound, number one is that we need to love God, but number two is that we need to lead our families that we need to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Right? They should determine everything that we do. And what do we do with them? Well, verse 7 says that we impress them on our children. So when you're at the breakfast table, talk with your kids about what you read that morning in your Bible. When you're driving them to school or to t-ball practice, tell stories of what God is doing in your life, in your family's life, and in the life of our church when you go to bed at night, celebrate what God did during that day. When you wake up the next morning, remind them of who it is that they're living for today. See, we need to lead our, our families spiritually. Spiritual talk isn't just something that we do on Sundays at church or, or when we're dropping our kids off at a, at a student ministry event. It becomes a part of everything that we do and say as families. We lead our children spiritually. Edward, the uh, Duke of Windsor, said this about America. The thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. I want you to think about that for a minute. The way that impresses me most is the way the parents obey their children. Parents, are you leading your children or are your children leading you? See, your job is to lead them spiritually. You set the tone for this. We have an incredible family ministry here at Hope. But it is not their job to be the primary spiritual leaders of your kids. Their job is to support you as you do that, to support me as I do that. That is the role and the responsibility that God has given us. Now, I know some of you are asking, Donnie, how do I, how do, I do that? And the reality is, is that I, I can't tell you specifically because I'm not in your family and I don't know your context but what I'm going to tell you is that if you want to be an effective leader, and Mike said this last week, you need to start by leading intentionally. Don't be as concerned about your child's happiness as you are about their holiness. So how do we lead them? Well, the Bible calls it training. And in Proverbs 22, 6, it says this, Direct your children onto the right path, when, and when they are older, they will not lead it, leave it. See, we train, we initiate, we direct our children in the way that they should go. Our role is to transfer dependence from us up to God. Now, how do we do that? Before I give you a couple things to do as a family, I want to read one more verse from Luke 2.52. And this is really to all children, which again is all of us as we sit in this room. It says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. A couple things here, right? Because 
if, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, then, then your whole goal, your primary responsibility is to become like Jesus in your life. And so we see four things in this verse, but let me just set this up too real quick. When this was written about Jesus, he was 12 years old. He was 12. You see, his parents weren't raising him to be a child. They were raising him to be an adult. And it said that Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom isn't, isn't simply intelligence or knowledge or even understanding. It's the ability to think and to act and to make choices that are beneficial and productive in your life. This is why it's so important that, that we learn how to learn and to think and to study, to ask others for advice so that we learn how to make good decisions. God said in James that if you need wisdom, just ask. And he'll, he'll freely, gladly give it to us. Jesus also grew in stature. He grew physically. See, it's so important that we learn to, to care about ourselves, that our esteem is high because God created us. And God doesn't make things that are junk. He, he only makes things that he's proud of and that are good. And so it's important that we clean ourselves, like middle school students, right? Like with soap and deodorant and brush our teeth, that we, we really think about the things that we consume and put into our bodies, that we commit to healthy habits. Jesus also grew in favor with God. And what we know is that God loves and cares about you deeply. He wants the very best for you. He proved that through Jesus. And that through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be restored and, and reconnected in a relationship with God. That's what he wants for you, the way Jesus was. And then finally, Jesus grew in favor with man. Just be a great human. Right? Love and respect your parents, people in authority over you, neighbors, coworkers, friends, strangers. Because what Jesus said, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then the second, he said, this is just as important, guys. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how do we do this? Let me give you three things, three commitments to make your family healthy. Here's the first one. It's a commitment to model Jesus. Please understand, I'm not talking about some, some unrealistic expectation of being perfect. We know there's no such thing as perfect parents. We know there's no such thing as, as perfect kids. But if my family see a dad who's allowed his life to be changed by God's power, that's attractive. And so parents, will you commit to follow Jesus in a way that is attractive to your kids? And kids, again, which is all of us. Let's commit to live in a way that shows Jesus to everyone that comes into our lives? What if we modeled the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Galatians 5 says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What if we lived those out? What if we loved others the way that God loves them? What if we choose joy in every circumstance, good or bad? What if when conflict happens, and it will happen, in your family? What if we always make sure that it ends in peace? What if we're patient with one another's personalities and opinions? We show kindness and goodness and gentleness to each other. What if we spoke and lived with self-control? And what if we put God first and showed that we're faithful to him and, and be faithful to each other? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a family like that? Here's the incredible part. You don't have to do that on your own. It's not about you loving or, or being so patient. or You can't do those things on your own. But when we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, then he produces those things in us. Here's the second. It's a commitment to prayer. 
And I know this one won't surprise you. And, and before you start packing up your stuff, I want you to, to consider this carefully. We need to pray regularly. Bring every concern, every dream, every desire that you have for your child to God. I think two of the best times to pray are on the way to school and, and then again at, at bedtime, regardless of their age. Especially when our teenagers begin to drive themselves to school. You should block out an entire morning to pray, right? Pray for their safety and the safety of others, right? Just, just, just commit that to prayer. Make bedtime very personal and, and pray specifically for things like their future spouse and, and, and relationships, activities and challenges that they may face, temptations, that their heart may be after God. And please don't assume that just because they're a teenager, just because they may be physically bigger than you are, that they're too big for you to kneel beside their bed and, and pray for them. And as a child, pray for your parents. I don't know if you realize this, but they're people too. And they've got dreams and they've got problems and they've got fears and they've got passions. I want you to also pray offensively. Here's what I mean by that. Before and after your child hits adolescence, pray for their friends. Pray that God will give them one solid Christian friend that will help them continue to grow. Pray that God will guide them daily. Pray that God will show you when they're doing things right so that you can encourage them when they're making good decisions. But also I think it's important to pray defensively. I think it's okay to ask God to remove a friend of questionable character from your child's life. Good friends of ours taught us that, that we should pray and ask God to, uh, to reveal Ty's mistakes and his sins to us. And so we, we pray regularly that if Ty screws up, he gets busted, right? That we just pray that. And we've told him that. Uh, and, and I think God feels sorry for us as parents. And so he answers that prayer regularly. Pray when God brings your child to mind, because you don't know what circumstance they're facing in that moment or what critical decision they're about to make. Pray with your child. What this does is it teaches your child that, that they need to depend on God first and that they bring everything to God in prayer. And what it also does is it begins to reveal the stuff that they're dealing with in their life so that you know how to, how to come alongside and encourage them. Finally, pray together as a couple. This is a, a spiritual discipline that should be in every marriage and let your kids see that. Here's the last one. Last one is a commitment of interest. Philippians 2.4 says this, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, this, involve, this in, 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 uh, commitment of interest, it, I know it sounds funny, but it, it involves a couple things. One is it involves your presence, and you spell presence T-I-M-E. It's so critical to their growth and to their development. And if you're somebody that says, you know what, Donnie, I think quality time is better than quantity time, I would like to tell you that you're wrong. Because uh, you can't have quality time without quantity time. And I'm not suggesting that you need to become the ultimate soccer mom, and I'm not saying that that's bad. But showing interest in your child doesn't mean that you always have to do carpool and never miss a dance recital. What it means is that you invest yourself into their lives so you know the things that they like and the things that they dislike. You know what their dreams are and you know what their fears are. You know what questions they're wrestling with. You know what crush they have in their life. You know what they think about God. So your presence is important. But the second thing is this is also your passion. Because in addition to spending time with each other, we need to show interest. We need to be passionate about the things that they're passionate about. The cool part with this is that you really don't have to care about that thing, right? But you care about the person. And when you care about them and when you're passionate about them, then, then it helps you to be passionate about the things that they're passionate about. For Laura, it's Grey's Anatomy and, and any animal video on the internet. 
And if I'm honest, right, I'm not passionate about either of those things, but uh, I can show interest because I care about her. She would probably say that I need to care more, and that's probably true, but, but, but I do, right? For Ty, it's baseball. He loves baseball. That's his passion. And one of the things lately that he's been doing is, is he's, he's been showing me, Dad, I'm, I'm tweaking my swing a little bit, and I used to do this, and now, now I'm changing my hands up, and, I, and I'm putting it, I'm doing it like this. And I love that. I love that he shows me those things. If I'm honest, it's hard at times, right? Because I'll come home and, and I've had a crazy day. I've got a message rolling around in my head. I've got phone calls that I still need to make. I've got people that I know that need to be encouraged. And it's so easy for me to be distracted and distant. And I know that I need to do a much better job. But my presence and my passion communicate my interest to my family. I want to close with a letter that we received when I was in student ministry from a student Looking on the outside, the student had it all together. They were, uh, they were good looking, a student athlete, getting good grades. But here's what, uh, here's what he wrote. Dear mom and dad, I don't think I've ever written you a letter, but I am now because I know if I tried to say these things to you, you wouldn't have the time to listen. Ever since I turned 13, something terrible has happened to us. We used to have fun together. Now all you do is yell at me about something. My room, my clothes, my stereo, my TV, my friends, my grades. It's like whatever I do makes you mad. And I know I screw up, but what's killing me inside is since you seem mad all the time, I don't want to be around you. I know it's not cool to want to be around your parents, but I'm so lonely. I've got lots of friends. School's okay, football is great, but I've got all this stuff inside of me, and I've got all these questions about life and myself and God. I talk to my friends about girls, parties, and football, but I can't tell my friends, gee, guys, I'm lonely. I'm actually afraid of relationships with girls and the pressure to have sex. When I'm alone, and I'm alone more than you think, I just fill my time with music and friends and TV, but it doesn't do any good, and I'm still lonely and scared. So here I am, a senior in high school feeling like a stranger in my own family. I look so together to everyone out there, but inside I'm dying. I'm so afraid I'll leave home, go to college and get married and end up like both of you, strangers to each other and strangers to my own children. I'm afraid to give this letter to you because I'm afraid you'll get mad or worse, you'll just ignore it. I don't think I can stand any more rejection from you. Actually, I don't know if I'll ever give this letter to you. Don't let this be your child. Model Jesus for them. Pray for them and with them and show interest in their lives. If you're a, if you're a child, understand this, right? You, you don't have to wait for your parent to initiate these things. You live these things out as well. For some of you, you have parents that don't believe in Jesus. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. And when we put these things into practice, I really believe that it will improve quickly the health of our families. See, a parent's priority is to model Jesus so that your kids learn to follow him. A kid's priority is to follow Jesus and to show it to everyone you come in contact with. Will you bow your heads with me? Imagine what this would look like in your family if you could see some changes in some of these areas. There's no perfect family, but there are healthy ones where family members have made decisions to influence its health. I've given you a few things to think about, a, a few action steps that you can put into action as soon as you walk out of here. The question is, is will you just sit back and do nothing about it? 
Or will you step up and make some changes in your family? You can make a difference. Not just in your life. Not even just in your kid's life, but in, in the next generation to come. Father, we thank you for family. And I realize that as soon as I say the word family, there are some people that are triggered with pain. There are some people hurting because their family is no longer together. There's some people hurting because they already have a depth of regret over some of the things they've said and the distance that has been created between them and their family. God, would you please close that gap of regret? Give people in this room the courage to model Jesus, to pray for and with each other and to show interest in each other. Give us the courage to live a life that is attractive to the world. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're a perfect father. And that you love us whether we do these things or not. You want us as your creation to be your children. May we be different people as we leave today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.